This morning we are reading the story of what's titled as Jesus Walks on the Water. Here's what Matthew tells us. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead, go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up to the mountain, up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But by this time, the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning when he came walking toward them on the sea, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Let us pray. What is this story telling us? What treasure might we find in the boat on the sea and Jesus on the water. What hope might you give us in it, O God? Help us find out. In Christ's name, amen. So, you like my title? In 2013, the Discovery Channel started a show, a crazy, ridiculous, outlandish, over-the-top show called, you ready? Naked and Afraid. You heard of this? Have you heard of this show? If you haven't, it's about, so I read, it's, it's about two people, they put two people, a man and a woman, who've never met before, and they send them individually out into a remote, harsh, isolated part of the world, and they dump them there for 21 days to see if they can survive, you know, bugs and alligators and whatnot. For 21 days, and they filmed the whole thing. And the kicker, of course, is that they're naked. They've got, they literally have nothing. 
They're allowed to take one thing of their own choosing, which becomes to, to survive, becomes part of the conversation, whether the thing they brought is this brilliant idea or the dumbest thing ever. Why did you bring a pencil? What is that? You know, it, it's, part of the, it's part of the thing. And, but they're out there for 21 days. And the kicker, of course, is that they're naked. They got nothing. Zero. And it's been successful. It's been on for four years. Now, when a show like that, that is just over the, is, has some success, I start to wonder why. Now, obviously, the shock value. The shock value, for sure. But but shock value only usually only lasts for a little while, right? You get over the shock of it, and it's, you know, it kind of, I'm done with that. It doesn't last very long. But here this thing's been going on. What is it about a show like that that taps into how the world is? It's got to be something. And here's what I think it is. I think it's tapping into the fear of vulnerability that we have in the world today. That at some level we feel like we're out there in the middle of nowhere with the, the world, the dangers of the world around us, and we've got nothing on our person in order to cope with it, to survive it. That it's tapping into our, our sense of vulnerability. And our fear of that. Maybe it's hitting into stuff about, you know, our, our, the feeling of our, our feel of loss of privacy. You know, no matter what you do, it's going to go on social media anyway. So you might as well just go around naked. Just save everybody the time. You know, maybe that, maybe it's, hit, it's, it's hitting on that. But, but regardless of what it necessarily is specifically, it's certainly a show like that taps into our fear of being vulnerable, fear of standing in front of the world with nothing, you know. When people stand up to talk in front of people, one of the old adages is if you're intimidated, do what? Imagine everyone in their underwear. That's what they've always said. Imagine everyone in their underwear. And I've, I've never, you know, I look at you guys, I don't think it works. <laughs> but... <laughs> But that's what they say. But it's, it's in an effort to try to, to get you to, to be able to be calm like you would one-on-one. -on -one. We, we fear. We fear being vulnerable. And that's what this story from Matthew is about. Vulnerability. Matthew places the story right after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. The story of great satisfaction, the feeding of the 5,000. They're satisfied. And then it's followed with this story, a story of great satisfaction, followed by a story of great vulnerability. It's on purpose. Matthew does it on purpose. They, were, they all ate and were filled, Matthew says. They were satisfied, and immediately Jesus sends the disciples into the boat, tells them to go on to the other side. And, and, and you think at this point when you read the story that, that you know, he's going to come down and he's going to glad hand a few people as he dismisses the crowd, as we're told in the story, that he's glad handing a few people. I'm glad you liked the fish. Tell your grandmother hello. 
and I'm going to go meet my buddies in the, in the boat. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he goes up the mountain to pray. And we're actually starting to wonder what the disciples might be wondering at this point. Where is he? What's ha what's, is he going to come? Is this, are we, where's Jesus? Is this, is this, is it all over now? What, what are we supposed to do? And Matthew, so we start to feel, we start to get worried. And Matthew adds to that worry by talking about what's happening to the boat. The waves are starting to, to pile into the, you know, to, to crash in. And it's starting to get further and further away from the shore. And, and the, the wind is starting to blow. And it's now starting to feel like a story, if you read Matthew up to now, the story of the calming of the storm, which is in chapter 8, where they're all in the boat in the same sea, and the storm comes, and the waves crash, and the disciples get all freaky Friday on everybody, and they go down below, and, and they say, Jesus, help us, we're scared, what do we do? And he comes up, and he tells them in that story the same thing he tells them in today, you of little faith, don't be afraid. Only this time, Jesus is not with them. The one who represents the presence of God for them is nowhere to be found. Not there. They're feeling vulnerable, naked, and afraid. And they don't know what to do. Jesus is up there, and they're out in the sea, and they look up at this most vulnerable part, and that's when they see him, walking on the water, right, as the story says. They see him walking on the water, and they're still in this state of shock. They don't know. They're worried. They, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. They freak out. And they recognize Jesus, and, and immediately Peter's the one that jumps up, right, when they recognize it's him. Peter's always the, he's all, eager Peter, always the first one to raise his hand, jump up, you know, if it really is you, command me to walk on the water, to come to, come to you on the water. And I kind of read it like Jesus kind of says, kind of like Liz read it, and, you know, sure, fine, you know, give it a shot kind of feeling to it and and so he does and of course the story says he sees the storm and starts to become afraid and he begins to sink now here's here's where I think we get all messed up with this story when we read it and I think what we what messes us up is when we read this thing we read it as a as a story of, of physics that we we go to this kind of that it's physics like Jesus when we see him walking on the water he's defying the law of gravity as if the disciples look at each other right then and say, Jesus is defying the law of gravity. Isn't that cool? Oh, I want to try it. Well, me first. You go first, Peter. And that that's what this story... And you know, even as I say it that way, that, that that's fine for kids. But as we get older, we realize it's got to be more than that. This book is a, it's not a science book, right? It's a spiritual book. So there's got to be more to this story. And there is. Professor of New Testament Eugene Boring helps us with what we need to know and pulling more out of what's going on 
What he says is this. He says, the modern, where the modern mind thinks of defying the law of gravity, the biblical mind thinks of the one who conquers the power of chaos. Where we think of gravity, the biblical mind in that day thinks of the one who conquers the power of chaos. Now, the reason he says that is because in the ancient world, the things in this story represent something different than what we see when we read it. The sea, for example. The sea represents the chaos of creation. That's what the sea represented. I mean, they knew there were fish in it, but beyond that, it's the great, vast, chaotic unknown, the sea. The most vulnerable place for you to be, at least one of them, was to be out on a boat in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the chaos all around you. The boat represents the community of faith, the church, in other words. So for the disciples to be in the boat out on the sea, they are in the community of faith out in the middle of the chaos of creation. They are vulnerable. And the only one who has the power to calm and conquer the chaos is God. That's a divine act. And you see it everywhere in Scripture. Everywhere. Genesis, from the very first words of the Bible, when the Spirit moved over the watery chaos, moved over the face of the deep. The parting of the Red Sea is the parting of the chaos of the sea, the chaos of creation, so that the people can escape Pharaoh. And what happens when they escape? The army comes through and the chaos swallows them whole. When Job complains chapter after chapter in the story of Job about all that has happened unfairly to him, God's, one of God's responses is to say, who stills the chaos of the sea? Sea and chaos are, are equals in that day. The only one who can conquer it is God. So when the disciples are out on the boat and they see Jesus walking on the sea, a better way of saying it is they see Jesus conquering the chaos of life, the storms around them. That's what they see. And so they would know that the lesson, one of the lessons in this story is that perhaps Peter's lapse in faith is not in his ability or inability to conquer the chaos to stand on the water. His lapse in faith is in getting out of the boat in the first place. To put it in terms of what Liz said at our time with children, don't get off the bike while it's moving. Peter's Peter's lapse in faith might have come actually in getting out of the boat, leaving the community of faith and trying to tackle all of this on your own. Even with the trust of God, he's out there, but he's out the way from the community of faith. Now, when you hear it that way, my hope is that it ceases to become a story that happened so long ago that we might learn a few things from and instead becomes an experience that we have Every single day. We are always afraid of being swallowed whole by the chaos of the world, aren't we? We are always in need 
of the saving hand of God we've been given in Jesus Christ. Always. Here we are after all. Here we are in this this little boat called the church. And chaos is all around us everywhere we turn. I don't have to define it for you, do I? I feel like I can't go a single Sunday without mentioning it. It's all around. Instead of moving towards a more lasting peace with one another, the strong winds we see are the winds of war and hatred and bigotry and pettiness. Everywhere. And like Peter, we sometimes want to try to, to conquer it on our own. You can't. You don't have that ability. And I actually don't think we're called to. I don't think we're called to conquer the chaos of the world. I think instead we are called to place our trust in the one who can, the one who does. Here we are in this little boat learning what it means to remain faithful in a world gone mad. Trying to stand up at times when we think it's right. Staying on our knees in a prayer for help. We're sinking. We're sinking, Lord. Help us. And then come the words. They come to us as clearly as they came to Peter so many years ago. And the words are these. Don't be afraid, you of little faith. Take heart, it is I. May the very same spirit that moved over the face of the deep at the very beginning of time move once again over the chaos of our world today. May Jesus Christ reach out a hand and calm the sea.